everyone to Fly Over Footy. You might be listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a full crew today and we're going to jump right into business. Uh, let's talk first about the Portland match. Every time I see P-O-R, I start to say Portugal. Portland. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I keep I keep going back and forth. P-O-R, P-D-X. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know PDX would be a lot helpful, but more helpful. But we shouldn't go with airport codes. We've talked about that on the USL show. But um, let's jump right in, Matt. We've got Santiago and Stuart here tonight as well. Uh, but Matt, do you want to start us off with the lineup as usual? Hey, hey, yeah, full slate. Let's let's look back a little bit from the takeaways in Portland. Um, and and from a lineup perspective, we went back to the four two three one. This was our first. MLS match without Klaus, and so we ran a back line we we're familiar with, with Berkey, Nelson, Hebert, Parker, Nerwinski. We ran Miguel Perez and Indiana Vasilev in our defensive or central midfield. And then up front, we kind of had a three-man attack that are two wingers and two strikers, depending on how you look at it, that consisted of Jared Stroud, Edward Leuven, Rasmus Alm, and Nico Giacchini. And depending on kind of which site you look at, who you ask, at what point in the game you look at, uh, there was a lot of freedom that Edu Leuven was given in this match to move into that second striker type role. And Bradley Carnell even kind of referenced that after the game, talking about how the the, the playing without Klaus, uh, rather than use Nico Giochini as that number nine by himself, uh, Leuven was given some freedom to move up. And you saw that in the way the game played out, in my opinion, where... He was given a lot of creative freedom and flexibility to take the ball into the box in dangerous zones as a 10, as a second nine, being very, very high compared to where we usually see him. That was one of the big things that stood out with this formation to me. Yeah, and you predicted that we'd see that because that's what happened last time against Portland. Santiago, yeah. how do you think that played out in this one? Well, um, obviously we will have like um, see a better result um but to me i i think um it just uh didn't work out this time i would love to see um something different on on saturday um maybe celio or ostrak up there with with joachini um but yeah uh Lewin again Lewin is still uh still like the engine that he is out there and a very important player for the team but uh, I just don't think uh, having him up there is the solution while Klaus Klaus is out. Yeah, and Stuart, I know you. Um, I love, I love when you get in a mood after a game. You were like apologizing about what you said the day <laughs> next day, but I love it. Like it was so good for you to kind of post some of those thoughts, and uh, I thought I'd give you a chance to kind of give your thoughts on the game here. I'm still feeling a little apologetic. I think I was a little. Uh fire the moment you get a little little worked up but i don't think you're I, wrong I mean, though i want to be clear that uh, I, you know i liked it because I, it's it's part of the story right is is it did look pretty bad at times yeah and, and to be honest i'm one of those guys and i i i'll admit i do this uh myself but i don't like it when uh, people blame the officiating for a loss totally. um instead of the product on the field and i i uh, ultimately, yeah, maybe a draw would have been fair on that one, but um, I don't think we lost because of the officials necessarily, or we rather we didn't win because of the officials. Um, I mean, Portland also played really, really well. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, fans view the moment. It was also hilarious seeing the person with the with uh, a sign 
Um, but uh, overall, um, yeah, I, I, I think the team would like that one back because I don't think they quite meshed and put in the effort that or didn't get things to click the way they would like. The sign thing was funny, too. And just to be clear for those who didn't see it, because it was an in-stadium thing um, on the on the video board in the stadium, one a fan in, I think, the front row of the supporter section had a sign that said uh, something about, uh, I just want both teams to play well, or I hope, hope both everybody teams has well. a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and so the camera was doing a close up on him. And then he straight up pulled a heel move, turned the sign around and it had a, a negative sign against the refs. Uh, <laughs> and they put it away immediately. So it wasn't planned for sure. <laughs> no, no. He very much baited and switched the camera guy. And I don't think City appreciated that one too much. But it, it, I, I, I completely agree with Stu. I think that there are some negative things you could say. There's complaining things you can say about the officiating in this match. But end of the day, if you're having to do that, something went wrong elsewhere. You didn't stick to your principles. You didn't play the game that you could have played. You weren't successful in the 95% of the rest of the match that was played around any one of those calls. Because whether you look to an off, a potential handball that was called offside at the end, whether you look to a potential shove on Stroud, there are probably moments that we as St. Louis fans skipped over where we could have easily been carded or something could have been called but wasn't on us. So it, it comes and goes, it ebbs and flows, and there's it all evens out in the end. But a lot of the uh, bite that our, our attack had just wasn't there. The first half was where we had most of our chances, and we ended up controlling the possession and having uh, zero shots on goal in that first half. And Edward Leuven himself took three of our seven total shots. Only three total shots were inside the 18-yard box of of that, you know, of those seven. We didn't have anything that could be considered dangerous in our our creative and our attacking third. Yeah, those I love that you put that in there, Matt. You're, that Leuven had three of our seven shots because part of my first response after watching that game was like, maybe Leuven shouldn't play the 10. But really, it looked like when we had the ball, when we had possession more than we liked, you could tell that everyone was kind of like, well, what do we do now? And it was clearly the plan was to look for Leuven and, and make something happen. And the fact that you coupled that stat with only three shots inside the 18 box, I mean, to me, I'm sure you were thinking this too, Who's the guy in the 18 making all the shots? I mean, didn't he? Is, wasn't he the league leader with shots inside the 18? Was was Klaus? Yeah, yeah, and I know that uh, from you. So he's still he's still up there in goals. Um, and so without him, it's not just the fact that um, Nico Joachini himself had an off game and didn't have the performance that he wanted to have. It was our entire offense didn't really seem to know how to flow without Klaus because Klaus had been so good and adept at holding up play at being creative himself with the ball in the channels. And so without that presence of the attacking number nine in those positions, we were relying on Leuven who, yes, he stood, he stepped up into that kind of second striker, but I, I just don't see him as the most beneficial for our team playing that kind of position. He did well handling the ball. He was, he was very, uh, very much a good playmaker and ball handler in this. There was just nothing for him to facilitate to, especially moving the ball up from where his positioning was. It just felt like a repeat of, you know, when St. Louis struggles, it's against these kinds of teams, and we kind of saw it coming. And I would just say that if you were a Portland fan, that game went exactly how you drew it up. You know, it was, hope, you know, exactly how they would have liked to see it, give us the possession, defend out uh, the game for the most part. 
and just capitalize on mistakes or, or just get those few chances and make sure one of them goes in. In this case, you know, there were two chances that kind of sort of went in. <laughs> um, and so that was my first thought about this. Um, and, and the second thought is, you know, perhaps Leuven didn't didn't work out the way it, it went in that game specifically. I'm not done with the, using Leuven as the 10. But we did see that Celio brought a flash on in the second in the second half. Uh, that Ostrak and Celio were able, were able to connect with a really nice goal, and that formation wasn't terribly unlike um, the Open Cup where we scored several goals. And so I'm just curious what we'll see in the next game. I know the presser had a lot of questions referring to those things. Um, we have a couple more minutes that we can talk about Portland. Does anyone want to say anything else? No problem. Well, I'll add to that. I felt the substitutions we made definitely changed the shape and changed the look of what we were doing in the attacking third. We finally had a measure of creativity that Ostrak and Pompeu and Aziel Jackson were able to provide, especially the obvious goal scoring chance and success from Alm to Ostrak to Pompeu. I mentioned this to Santi, but that was on our fly our fallout show rather. But that to me was very uh, emblematic of a typical successful St. Louis City buildup where you had Alm kind of holding things up on the wing and he was waiting for Ostrak to make his run. He caught Ostrak inside uh, in stride. Ostrak took the ball to the end line, drew defenders to him and played it perfectly back for just a little chip shot to Pompeu. And he had probably two thirds of the goal open that he could have gone for. So there was just nothing but daylight for him at that point. And when you're able to create that kind of space in such a tight uh, area of the field, that's impressive that they were able to do that. And that's what we needed to have more of. It was just unfortunate that they were able to kind of counter very quickly after that, because just three minutes later, we lost another transition. We lost a, a goal kick long that was played through our defensive right channel and Yimichara was able to hit kind of a one touch in their transition. It, it was almost like a punch and counter punch that we just didn't have a final answer to. Yeah, but aside from Portland scoring right away, I really like uh, what those substitutions did. And I think that's a good footprint of what City could do uh, while Joao Klaus is, is out. So it'll be interesting to see what lineup uh, and what formation we go with on Saturday night. Indeed it does. Stuart, anything you'd like to add before we move on? Uh, just that I think the team has the right leadership in place and in Berkey and Parker and some of the other guys that uh, I'm not concerned that whatever happened on against Portland is going to carry over to Dallas. I mean, we're a very, very strong away team, so I think we'll be very competitive on Saturday. I agree. Uh, good stuff, guys. Thank you. Uh, this is Flyover Footy. We're at St. Louis Soccer Podcast. If you didn't know already, please do check us out online. We're everywhere you could possibly find it. And uh, you might be listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Matt. Moving on next, we heard about some injury updates. We have some player notes from the press conference. Hit us with some of those, if you will. Yeah, so Bradley Carnell was very forthcoming with some designations uh, today. We'll see if that pans out for the final report on Saturday. But the most exciting for me is that Jabulu Blom was a full participant in what we saw at training today. So having him on the field with some of those team drills and activities, it wasn't anything like uh, like a scrimmage. It wasn't anything 11 v 11, nothing like that. But it was the the mini games that they were playing. It was the the full stretching, the full uh 
calisthenics, fitness, that kind of thing that he was taking part in. And so knowing he's recovering from a groin injury, seeing what appeared to be a lack of limitations, that was exciting. And so Carnell called Blome questionable for Saturday, seeing how he progresses. But he did call out uh, that, that the likelihood of him traveling will indicate him more than likely seeing minutes. So if he's going to travel, it's not going to be travel and sit and watch. It's going to be more along the lines of travel because there's a chance to see him in the game. If there was a reason for him to continue his recovery, continue getting treatment, he'd stay home. And then the other two players, so we know that Joachim Nilsson is out still. The other two players that are interesting from an injury perspective are Klaus. He he was called day-to-day. He was not a participant in the team activities we saw today. He was more jogging, doing some ISO work. And then Rasmus Alm, who has not trained all week, was listed as questionable by Bradley Carnell. That to me seems a little generous, given the fact that Alm has been out of training this week. And Santi, I think you know, you saw, you might've been at training when he he pulled himself out, but you know, did he do anything earlier this week that, that you kind of saw? So on Tuesday, he, he was out. And yesterday, unfortunately, when I got there, he had already pulled himself out. But it was at the beginning of practice. But the fact that he pulled himself out, mm-hmm. I think, uh, tells the story that um, it's something uh, him, he wants to be careful with and the team also wants to be careful with. So I would think um, he will not be with the team. Um, back to Jabulo uh, Blom. Uh, so yeah, obviously, we, we saw him participate in all activities this morning. Obviously, uh, once uh, we were uh, escorted out to go to uh, the press room, the team did additional things. So I'm not sure if he participated in those. But yesterday, he was like 50-50. He was uh, participating in about half of the drills, and some of them included uh, 11 on 11. But he wasn't part of all of them. I would think he still needs uh, a few more days to to recover, but uh, obviously the team knows uh, better than than I would. Um, so I'm sure we'll be keeping an eye tomorrow when the team uh, usually they post uh, a video about who is traveling. I'm sure yeah. everybody will be keeping an eye on Jabula Blom. Yeah, a, a travel photo of Blom is really good sign, and especially because, and I know, I know it's not an ankle or kind of an injury like that, but FC Dallas plays on a grass field. And so if you're worried about uh, pivots or if you're worried about the strain on your legs, this seems like a, if he's healthy, a good opportunity to have him see minutes as a sub or, or getting some potential work up in game. And then the other two names worth, worth discussing from a news perspective are Caden Glover and Owen O'Malley who we have three games again coming up in eight days with FC Dallas and then two against Chicago, one in the Open Cup. Caden Glover and Ono Malley were training with City today, unlike uh, their their typical training program where they've been with City 2 almost exclusively. And we heard from Bradley Carnell before the Union Omaha U.S. Open Cup that Caden Glover was being worked up from his injury earlier this year. He was developing. They want to see him more time with City 2. Same, similar with Ono Malley, though, no injury concerns. They want to develop him a little more with City 2, get him some minutes to run a play. Both of them were in good form last week in their City 2 match. Caden Glover has seen a lot of time up front. Ono Malley has been seeing time at right back where we expect him. And so having both of them in training today and hearing Carnell talk about the progression, the, the proof of the progression that he referred to a few weeks ago is a really good sign that if they're not going to see time against FC Dallas, we can expect to see both of them feature or see minutes against Chicago in the Open Cup. 
we were chatting at training about O'Malley especially and uh, <clears throat> O'Malley I think has looked a step above in the City 2 matches as of late and so I think he's kind of kicking into gear and I think he's going to get a chance uh, sooner than later and um, you know Glover I didn't think he looked insanely good with City 2 but they've been saying he's been really good in training and on top of that I think he's the type of player for two reasons that we could use right now one is i do think he his play is elevated by having good players around him i've seen that in training where he he does stuff that i've never seen him do with with younger players with the older guys and which has been really fun to see but secondly just a guy that hangs around in the box like he does like klaus does like that's something that we could use i think at certain moments so even if he's not ready let's you know let's blood the kid if it's a time that we're, we're struggling that's a good time to to throw in a kid and get him some minutes and, and let him learn with the guys and you never know we could have a, a romance story on our hands here with with glover which would be cool the idea of Caden glover isak jensen uh, azl jackson maybe a tomas ostrock salio pompeu playing up top against chicago fire is pretty exciting i agree oh yeah i'd love to see it um cool well let's move on we've got a lot of uh preview of fc dallas that we need to get to <clears throat> let's start with some facts of the game as usual we're going to start with with matt baker here take us take us in coach we're 3-1-1 one, one away. We have 22 goals on the season with a plus 10 goal differential, which is the most goals and tied for the best goal differential in the league. FC Dallas, on the other hand, sits fourth in the West with 15 points, 4-3-3 record, 3-1-1 one, one at home. So this is a battle of the 3-1-1s one, on the road and at home. FC Dallas has, they haven't peppered the, the goal a whole lot. They've been more consistent though. And FC Dallas has a very, very good history with their defensive form. And in the last three games, we know St. Louis started off 5-0. and We know St. Louis has been 1-3-1 and in the last month. But in the last three in particular, last week, the aforementioned 2-1 loss against Portland. Before that, a 1-1 draw at Colorado. And then the 5-1 win at home against FC Cincinnati. That, that, that puts St. Louis in kind of a 1-1-1 form lately. FC Dallas, on the other hand, their last three MLS matches were a 0-0 draw at Minnesota United last week a 3-1 loss at New York City the week before, and then they beat Real Salt Lake at home 2-1. And like I said, they've, they've only scored more than two goals one time, and that was back on March 4th against the LA Galaxy. So a lot of low-scoring games from FC Dallas as they've ebbed and flowed through these uh, wins and losses. The Both teams, the it's important to remember, have three matches coming up in eight days. So FC Dallas is entering the U.S. Open Cup in this next round where they're going to play Nashville on Wednesday. St. Louis, like we talked about, will be playing Chicago on Tuesday. Both of these things, I think, are going to play into the the types of lineups that we run out, the fitness that we have available. And we'll talk about some injuries here in a few minutes. But knowing that both teams have some of these fixture congestion uh, considerations is going to be important. And the last thing I'll say before we uh, kind of talk with Phil and Stu is power rankings. So who doesn't love talking <laughs> about power rankings? <laughs> St. Louis is seventh in the power rankings for MLS. FC Dallas is 12th. Both teams dropped a little bit. St. Louis dropped from four to seven. FC Dallas dropped from 11 to 12. The quotes from MLSsoccer.com about the teams. For St. Louis, quote, it's probably time to start worrying a little about St. Louis, who were missing DP striker Klaus last weekend. Portland let them have the ball for a bit, and St. Louis, St. Louis didn't do much with it. There's a clear plan to get the better of them at this point, and they haven't quite adjusted to it yet. On the flip side, 
FC Dallas, they say, FC Dallas took a point on the road at Minnesota and continue to be somewhere from third to fifth in the West. They will presumably be there until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> FC Dallas, FC Dallas, the historical good, not great or elite team. Yeah, what do you think, Stuart, about all those thoughts about St. Louis? Or even if you want to chime in on Dallas, you, hit, you did a lot of research on Dallas this week. So um, any thoughts on, you know, us struggling overall? Are we struggling? Are we not? Are we the real thing? Are we not? What do you think of us in Dallas this week? Uh, so yeah, there was a chart that came out yesterday, and, and, and uh, Matt's aware of this. I shared this with you guys. But it's uh, expected XG and expected uh, XGA. Um, and... Uh, we fall into the not sustainable, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> quadrant of that, where you're you're scoring higher than you're supposed to, and you're not conceding as as much as you're supposed to. And there's really no one else close to us in that quadrant. Though Dallas is in that same quadrant. Um, Dallas is an interesting one because they they also score a lot more. In fact, twice as much in the second half as the first half of matches. Uh, and St. Louis isn't too different from that. We also score a lot more in the second half than the first. So it'll be interesting to see how um, Estevez and uh, Carnell kind of battle wits there um, from a managing perspective. The two exciting things I have um, when, I, when, you, when you brought those up in our group chat earlier, Stu, is the XG. There's, there's a decent amount of conversation that occurs on Reddit and on Facebook groups when XG is brought up. And I always try to pay attention to who's saying what and what side people are on. This one in particular, I think it's important to remember that with XG, there is a historical nature to the formulas that they use. So I, I've been wondering how much of the overproduction in reality that St. Louis has compared to what the XG says. How much of that is attributed to the lack of historical data for St. Louis and our players that we have? And how much of it is just related to the fact that we are overall converting a massive amount of our chances way more than we truly should? So I I don't want to say I take it with a grain of salt because I really do enjoy XG and XGA stats, but it is something that I consistently have in the back of my mind is that historical context to it. And then on the substitute, well, not really substitutions, but the second half goal scoring. I think that is a combination of adjustments and subs. And sometimes this year, Bradley Carnell has alluded to the fact that, especially against, it was uh, Seattle and Colorado, um, most specifically, he was chasing subs. And so the ability for St. Louis to come out, come out on the front foot, come out of halftime and get an early goal is just that much more important knowing that context but also he can't get too bogged down in chasing some of the subs that fc dallas might employ one of those also being velasco who we're going to talk about injuries but that could be a key second half sub uh that we don't quite think he's he's ready to start coming back from an injury so fc dallas has weapons at their disposal as well the second half subs have been highly attacking in nature by Bradley Carnell. Most of the subs, I would venture to say 80% of the subs at any given time have been skewed towards our front four. And so knowing that we we don't have Klaus for this match, knowing we might not have Alm for this match, how much is that going to impact our firepower in our ability to sub effectively in the second half? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really hope that 
we have like a plan A and a plan B in this one. Not chasing subs, I think, is really vital because I think without Klaus, it's not like we have a plan A that we really think will work or probably should work. And then we make a few subs and, and it works out. For me, it's like, man, we got to really go at it with formation A or plan A and then have plan B ready for that 60th minute or so, whatever you want to start doing it. And, and maybe not worry about Dallas. That's that's kind of what I've been thinking. You know, I'm looking at that chart, Stuart, that, that you, you posted and we just talked about. And it is weird that, you know, St. Louis is so far out of where, where everyone else is, like just so far and away. Um, and so that almost makes me think, I'm taking us backward a little bit here, but it almost makes me think that we are a special case that perhaps those stats aren't too useful with us. Now, if we bomb out this season, then I'm going to be dead wrong, but it feels like an outlier to me. Yeah. Well, one, you know, one thing to note, uh, St. Louis has also only gotten one penalty uh, given to mm-hmm. us this season and XG highly favors uh, penalties um, for good yep. reason, because, you know, you're going to score on most of them. Um, but that's worth noting. And that'll definitely skew our XG as well. Yeah, that's good stuff. I also like I also like um, goal difference minus expected goal difference. So it takes some it takes a lot of what that kind of a graph says the expected goals versus actual and expected uh, goals against versus actual, and it kind of puts it all together in a how many goals, what's your overall goal difference versus what they say your goal difference should be. And St. Louis is still at top of the league in that with double digits in our goal difference minus expected. So that overperforming when you're taking both of those into account. FC Dallas more at the mean i would say where they're sixth in the league they still have a high so they're in that quadrant like you said along with lafc and nashville and and houston but they're much closer to what you would expect from that having a 3.66 goal difference minus expected goal difference the the ability also for uh, open play versus set pieces to come into factor when you're looking at xg both of the teams are in the top 10 of expected goals on set pieces St. Louis has four goals off of set pieces, whether it's a corner or set piece and after open play. FC Dallas has three goals on set pieces. And both teams are also in the top 10 of expected goals against on set pieces. It will be very interesting to see, how, because both teams are physical as well. The FC Dallas, I think, I, I believe the stat is they lead the league in yellow cards. St. Louis leads the league in fouls. So when you're seeing that style of physicality and getting calls for certain things, uh, yeah, FC Dallas tied for first in yells with 27, th- but they also have a low number of fouls committed. All of these things, physicality coming into play. Can you put yourself in the position to have fouls called in your favor that will enable set pieces in some very dangerous attacking places? That that could be one of the ways in which this game shifts very quickly. Yeah, I, I love the stat that you guys mentioned earlier about um, them. You know, both of us are, are scoring uh, our goals in the second half late in games, and it just feels about right. You know, there's a lot of Americans, a lot of USMNT players on that Dallas team, and it reminds me of USMNT, just that mentality of, you know, you're going to outplay the, the opponent. You want to win. You're driven to win, and the physicality is a big part of that in MLS, even especially, especially arguably at least. So, um, you know, that's an interesting thing to watch in this game to see, you know, who's going to be able to outdo it, uh, the other one in that match. And I think the yellow cards, cards, and, and fouls committed really kind of backs that up as well. Where you know both teams have a style of play, both teams have some quality players that you should worry about. Uh, but you know, I'm almost like taking a step out of it in this game. Then. I'm going to look at the the mental battle almost in, in this one for me. 
Well, I, on the the mental battle plays into it though, because the juxtaposition against fouls and yellow cards is is striking for these two teams. St. Louis being first in fouls with 154 over 10 games, but have only 20 yellow cards. FC Dallas is first in yellow cards with 27, but they only have 114 fouls committed. So, the the mental notion of and Johnny Nelson mentioned this in the press conference today about smart fouls and fouling them in. Uh, the appropriate times, the correct positioning, making sure that you're not putting yourself in a position to draw a yellow, to get a stupid foul in a dangerous position. But when you're able to take that mental toughness to the physicality that you can have on the field and be smart about these tactical fouls and do them in the right spot, whether it's uh, in the game flow or to get an edge mentally, the St. Louis has been very adept at doing that. So that's impressive from a discipline perspective of our team. You're listening to Flyover Footy, and we are on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks for joining us. We are doing great on time, guys. So this has been fun to kind of explore and, and kind of converse a little more than usual. Uh, but, Matt, maybe we can get to the Opta and Who Scored stuff. We like to talk about the strengths and weaknesses, the uh, the AI uh, stats, if you will, is what I've been dubbing these lately. Uh, they've been fun. Yeah, and I, I, I don't want to repeat myself every week, but we're seeing patterns develop for St. Louis very clearly. One of the other kind of quadrant-related charts that I like relates to the direct speed of an attack and the passes per sequence, meaning how, how much do your style of play move the ball vertically, your directness towards goal, and how many overall passes do you have volume-wise per sequence, per possession of the ball. And so St. Louis has the most direct speed to their attack in the entire league and the second fewest passes per sequence only to New York Red Bulls. So we have a very direct style. That's where we're, we find success. And whether it is playing the ball quickly through the midfield, playing the ball quickly up on the wings and crossing it in, we do not have very many passes per sequence. Uh, juxtapose that against FC Dallas. FC Dallas is in the bottom 10 in passes per sequence. So you can indicate high possession from that. Uh, uh, a willingness to play on the ball, as Bradley Carnell said today. And they're third from last in direct speed. So they do have that slow buildup on the field. Very much a different stylistic matchup between these two teams. And then you look at another stat that I like, which is high turnovers. St. Louis is second in the league in high turnovers forced with 99, 19 of those ending in a shot. So you can look at the press. You can look at specific push points and how uncomfortable we're making the other teams and our ability to create turnovers in dangerous positions for us. Uh, FC Dallas on the other side is bottom 10 in total number of high turnovers forced with just 68 and only 10 of those ending in shots with zero goals from them. So the pressure that they're going to be putting on us to force high turnovers, to force our defenders like uh, Nerwinski, uh, Johnny Nelson, Parker, and, and Hebert, maybe even Indiana Vasilev, isn't going to be great. There's an ability, I think, that we have to take advantage of playing not out of the back, but to allow our defensive midfielders to move the ball up a little more intentionally. And so not having the types of pressure that we've seen from a team like Portland could be very beneficial for us. And then the last thing that I have is overall tackling and st louis has attempted an average of 22.3 tackles per match which is three and a half more than any other team and we've won a league high 13.6 tackles per game st louis is a very physical very direct in your face we like to win duels we we succeed when we win duels we succeed when we're able to dispossess other other players uh in dangerous and intentional spots with these push points and Dallas on the other side has pressed less than any other team with just um, mm. 
these 94 high pressing sequences, meaning they're not putting that pressure in. They're kind of lying back in a mid to low block. And the, the way that St. Louis is going to have to tackle that, creating space in the channels, uh, targeting some of these midfield balls, seeing if we can be successful with a counterattack like we typically are, protecting the ball and winning some of these aerial opportunities with our crosses, with our aerial duels, uh, making sure that we can create second chances ourselves, which is one of the ways that Portland was able to beat us effectively last week. Yeah, the second chances thing was really dead on that, you know, we were doing our we were playing our normal game, but we were getting beat to those second balls a lot against Portland. I completely agree with that. Um, One thing that struck me in the presser today was the um, comment. We talked about it, Matt, that, that John Nelson mentioned. He listed all of the things you just mentioned about the way that Dallas plays. And he said, we think they're going to stick to their guns and play their style. And we think it matches up really well with, with what we do. And I agree. Like I, Stuart, this is leading to two questions for you um, because the other Carnell quote was, you know, yes, we've been struggling. A lot of the questions today in the presser was, were about why is the team struggling? How can you fix it? This is a bad streak. And he said, yeah, but if you look at every game of this season, overall, we're still doing very well. Yes, it's it's a bad run here shortly, but you know, you look at every game this season, and I just want to back him up in one regard that I said it earlier that there are certain teams that we struggle with, and we've hit a few of them in the in the recent past. And um, I think the teams that stick to their guns and control the ball, uh, that play a possession style, uh, we do well against them, you know. And so I look forward to playing Dallas. I think the guys are up for a win and I think we match up well to it. Um, Stuart, I don't know what you think about that, whether you think it's a stylistic thing or whether we are just on a on a losing streak. I know. I don't know what you think about, you know, what the rest of the team might think about people saying that without Klaus, we can't score goals. Um, anything you'd like to talk about here, Stuart, with with our matchup on Dallas, go for it. Well, anytime you're missing a DP in MLS, you're going to, especially an offensive one, you're, you're going to be put in a hard situation. Just the way the rosters are built in MLS, it's, I mean, you can look at sporting Kansas City last year when they had two of their DPs out the whole season mm-hmm. that started their current um, tailspin that they're, thankfully still in uh but with with dallas um the uh, interesting you talk about the matchup because they do a lot of their attacking um down their right side whereas we prefer to direct our attacking down the left now i'm not sure about the exact metrics on that map but you could sure back me up on that one. Oh yeah um so there's going to be a lot of attacking on that side of the field if both teams stick to their to their plan However, Marco Farfan, um, Farfan, their uh, left back, has struggled against uh, pacey wingers before. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe uh, Carnell puts someone or shifts at some point, like Celio Pompeo, with a little bit of pace to take him on one one v one, which Celio will happily do, uh, and that might be a way to break down, get down to that byline, and, and send one in. Um, I'd be curious to see if that's where they see a weakness. Uh, also curious to see if they see our right side as a weakness. Um, we saw that's where you know, Portland got their second goal from last week. Um, uh, but no, overall, it should be a, a very interesting match, especially if Estevez sticks with his uh, customary 4-3-3. 
The injury concerns, though, are going to be interesting. So FC Dallas, I don't think they have a whole lot of injuries. Um, Xoy Tafari is dealing with a calf injury. But Alan Velasco is going to be the interesting one to watch. Uh, yesterday, there were reports that Velasco trained with the team and did well. But he was recovering from a knee injury. It's going to be, they said, we'll now wait and see if he can be available for Saturday. And to put it into context... Stu mentioned that it's it's always bad or always uh, detrimental when a DP is out, much less a DP attacker. FC Dallas have three designated players, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, and Alan Velasco is a young DP. He's 20 years old. And all of them play their forward positions. If they're fully healthy, their 4-3-3 leverages all three of these up front. And so you typically would have Paul Ariola on the right side, I would, I would assume. And so if you look at how Stu described the uh, FC Dallas playing through their right side, you can see a whole lot of Paul Ariola as the linchpin to that entire process. When you think from a St. Louis perspective, you're having Johnny Nelson go up against an Ariola or protect against space that Ariola and Ferreira and even a Sebastian Legette might have because Johnny Nelson called all three of them out. Mm-hmm. But if they if they have Alan Velasco available, even as a sub, that's going to create a lot of additional pressure to Jake Nerwinski and to Tim Parker because I, I don't think the replacement O'Brien is anywhere near the level that an Alan Velasco is. So that could be a benefit to watch out for as the game starts. But just keep in mind, if Velasco is named to the roster, he's likely going to see time in the second half as a sub. And he leads the team in duels one in addition to that. So he's not just a goal-scoring threat, but he's a guy who can successfully, I think, take on a Jake Nerwinski. And you'll have to have maybe some of those 2v1 opportunities where you might get some help from an Indiana Vasilev or a Jabulu Blom if he's able to go, in addition to Tim Parker in that space. That Those three and the way that they run their attack can create a lot of problems in space, in the channels. And it, it again, is a way that we were beaten by Portland is in those channels and the space in and around the 18-yard box. I think with some of their their midfield play, where Paxton, Paxton Pomichol, rather has he has a lot of ability along with Sebastian Legette to control the midfield. We we will have a lot of opportunities, I think, to create counter counterattacks and to press the ball quickly. But from a defensive perspective, there's just so many weapons, so many tools that they have at their disposal that. The trick is going to be limiting the spaces they get for some of these dangerous opportunities. They're, let them possess the ball, I would say. If they, if they want to take their time and pass the ball around, let them. Just, I'm not saying fall back into a low block by any means, but I'm saying you have to limit the amount of space that they get between our fullbacks and our center backs primarily. Yeah, and the the game, the name of the game these days in modern soccer, especially in MLS, is transition soccer. For most, for the most part, everybody plays in transition. Dallas is no um, different in that regard. So you know they're looking to find those guys in behind. Stuart, I thought you you put it perfectly, and we are too. You know, all may not be in, but you know. You, Stuart, you were talking about uh, what we tend to do is attacking down the left side. Yes, but if we're in transition often or if uh, the back line or goalkeeper gets in trouble, we'll send it down the right and try to take them on the run. And so um, look for that battle of the right side on, on counterattacks. And then if the counterattack isn't on, then we'll see who can win in the, in the uh 
in the uh, style points statistic category. Um, and that can come down, that could go down in any number of ways. And so um, I'm just so excited to see which players we'll be relying on in all of those positions. I think that's going to be a fun story, if not a key one. Yeah. And, and I had some uh, keys to the game that I wrote down for City. And I think a combination of these is going to be vitally important. You might not be able to hit all of them, but you have to be smart in your push points. So Nico Joachini is fantastic in his pressing. He's fast. He's very good at creating consternation, whether it's the keeper or one of the defenders. If we can be smart in our push points and not leave ourselves vulnerable to the counterattack, that's going to be a big way that we can stifle Dallas. We also have to create space in the final third. Going back to the way we scored against Portland, we have to be able to draw in defenders. We have to be able to create space to get off shots and and find bodies in the box. Johnny Nelson, in particular, I think cannot be caught up too high. I, I was trying to allude, uh, trying to get him to talk about how he's going to track back defensively during the press conference today, and I just I worry about his spacing with Paul Ariola and Jesus Ferreira, Sebastian Legette, because oftentimes if we're like you said, if we're caught in transition it's usually how it leads to us allowing goals and, and, and whether it's between our defenders or to the side it's just the the first step isn't there our defensive midfield i don't think we can allow through balls we have to stop the point of attack we have to be smart in our 1v1 approaches we have to push the pace we have to draw yellow cards from them going back to being mentally smart with your physicality draw yellow cards from them in dangerous spots and then we just have to take risks with shots. FC Dallas is pretty weak against shots outside of the 18-yard box. Take a chance. Fire the ball off. Whether you're Indiana Vasilev, whether you're Edu Leuven, Dallas is vulnerable there. We have some skilled players with these longer shots. Yeah, Klaus might not be in the game for this, but we have plenty of other options that can put the ball in net from long distance. And then the last, three, last thing I had is just reiterating, shutting down those passing lanes with their front three. If Velasco's in the game especially, and you have all of Ferreira, Ariola, and Velasco, you're going to have to shut them down and you're going to have to leverage, I think, a defensive midfielder to do that. Did Stroud get a yellow in that last game? I was just trying to look that up because he was I, on four, right? Uh, he's sitting at four. I don't Officially, think he did. MLS Not the last game. still has him at five, but that includes the rescinded card. Yes. Okay. Uh, so he has so four. He's still on suspension watch, him and Tim Parker. Well, he made it through, and we needed him, turns out, because all may not be in. So that's really awesome. Good for him for going a game without a yellow. Yeah. I know that had to be hard for him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, FC Dallas actually has um, uh, three players, key players on suspension watch, and that's uh, Paxton Pomacall, mm. uh, Velasco. They're both on three yellow cards, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, also maybe Ferreira, or is it... Um... O'Brien has four. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I think some of their fans would be really happy if he got up there <laughs> and played the next match. That's fair. It's well said. Uh, Tafari has three as well. Nice. All right, well, that's something to watch. Um, I think we're all out of time for this segment. Before we go, of course, we're going to give some predictions on lineups and perhaps the score. We'll see if we decide to do that. Stuart, why don't you lead us off on that, if you don't mind? Uh, lineups, well, personally, I, I think uh, Celia has earned a start, so I'd like to see him start, um, and especially if Alm is out, maybe put Celio on that right side. We've seen him play both wings uh, with City, too. Um, Ostrek off the bench, or, well, I guess I'd have him starting over Perez. Then I think, in general, we'd, we'd play the same same starting 11 as against Portland. What do you think, Matt? 
Yeah, I, I as well had Celio Pompeu in the game. I think he's earned it. Bradley Carnell said today that they have to be brave to play hot hands and they have to reward mm. they have to reward those people. And I think Celio is that person. You can make an argument for AZL Jackson, you can make an argument for Tomas Ostrak. And in fact, I do have Ostrak in the lineup. I think we're going to go with a version of a 442. Uh I I think Alm will sit out. I think Blom will be available off the bench. I have Nelson, Hebert, Parker, Nowinski, just like normal, Leuven and Vasilev, kind of like usual. And then Stroud and Ostrak in those wide mids with Giochini and Pompeu up top. And I really like what Stu is saying about targeting uh, Pompeu on that left side against Farfan. I think that's an exciting thing that I'd like to see happen, giving Ostrak some freedom and flexibility. To me, when you put that second attacker up and you make it a guy who's fast with good pace like Celio Pompeu, it opens up so much of the game. In addition to your defensive ability to press higher, I think he's earned it. He can move around the field too. So once the subs start to happen, he offers you a lot of versatility. The only thing I'll say to watch out for is we do play Chicago on Tuesday. So whoever goes full 90 minutes is probably going to be unavailable. I don't think Salio goes the full 90 here, but I do think, especially with Alm out, especially with Klaus out, that he's the guy who should get a chance. I'm with you, Matt. I want to see, you know, Joe Keeney's not a false nine, but he's pretty darn close to it. And so I want to see that yeah. four false nine thing tried out that we did in the Open Cup. It worked, right? It yep. has to be either our plan A or plan B in this game. So um, I'm with you on that on that lineup. No arguments for me. But if we do try that four false nine idea, um, Aziel's ready to go in. He knows what to do. Clearly, um, he had a really good game against um, Omaha. So, you know, I'd like to see him as a sub if he doesn't start. And, you know, I mentioned Stroud. Stroud, I think, is one of those guys who I'm I'm touch and go on whether I'd like to see him start this match. I, I think having Stroud go against Chicago would be interesting, especially because it gives him a little more physical versatility in not having to accumulate yellow cards in league play. Having Ostrock on the left, having AZL Jackson on the right with Jokini and Pompeo up top, that would be like putting the whole playing the hot hands to the to the <laughs> test right there if you're throwing all of them in. But you do still have to be smart about who you're playing, who you're riding high minutes with the Open Cup. I think Ostrock is talented on either side. So whether he plays on the left or the right, and AZL Jackson has seen significant time on the right-hand side lately. Well, we're all out of time. We're not going to do the scores today, but we post them all on Twitter. So do find us online. We're all over Twitter. We're on Instagram, YouTube. Be looking for videos and and, uh, clips from us throughout the week. Thank you all for listening. We're Flyover Footy. This is the big 550 KTRS. We'll be back at you on Tuesday. Bye, everybody. Go City. It's the wind down. We're doing it a little differently than usual because we recorded, uh, strangely, we recorded during the day. Uh, And just because it was good for Santiago and Matt. And so it was good that we got in that 45 minutes earlier today. And now we're going to do the wind down portion at night. So you might be listening to some jazzy uh, segue music. I hope everyone's chilling out and enjoying their evening, day, whatever. Uh, I don't know when when you listen to this podcast, but... Welcome. We have a, a new special guest today. It is Carver. Carver from 
BVB podcast fame, um, our alumni. Jake was his podcast partner. I still, still are, right? You guys still do, yeah, that, of course. Yeah, I was the same mutual friend. Yeah. So yeah, um, I got to hang out with Carver when uh, Manuel Vate came when we did the pre-show uh, get together ahead of the Bayer Leverkusen friendly. And yeah, Carver, you were great. You had awesome questions and thoughts throughout the night. Um, I probably didn't let you speak enough. Uh, maybe just uh. like, maybe just like right now, I should just say, Carver, how are you? Tell us all about yourself. <laughs> I'm great. And, and now the show is perfect. I was just vibing the whole time. I kept looking out the window at the stadium too. It was, it was a pretty incredible Ooh. night given we got whipped three nil by Leverkusen, but uh, yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it was, I mean, it really was a wonderful night. Vibing was definitely the word for it, especially that night. Uh, you know, looking back at that night, since we have, it's, it's a wind down, we can just kind of go on rabbit trails. Thinking about what Klaus was like that night versus what we got is like just night and day. And there's no way we could have known yeah. that that night. Right. But, oh, my I gosh. think about that a lot. Me too. I think about that a lot because people that were not familiar with him were like, what the hell? Who is this guy? He He's not doing anything. And to be to be fair, he was still like uh, nursing an injury. I think he, he played just because he wanted to play. And even uh, they wanted to sub him out and he didn't want to come out. <laughs> but uh, it's great to see that when he's in full form, uh, obviously he's, he's close and he, he can do great things. And City is missing him right now. Right. Yeah. And maybe, you know what, since we brought it up, let's talk about it. Let's talk about our striker depth, because I did ask this question of Carnell today uh, that, you know, the Klaus injury came at the exact same time, pretty much of the Sam Adeneron loan. Right. And so we're down two strikers that play in a similar playing style. And so, um, you know, our depth isn't looking too good at the striker position. Um and so, you know, Carver, let, let's start with you on, we talked about it in the first segment tonight about what we can do outside of that, but how do you see our striker depth and how do you see us getting around um, it, you know, having basically Nico Joachini as our only natural nine and, and yeah, how do we work around that? Yeah, well, he had no one to play off of against Portland last week, which I think we ripped in. 24 crosses that game and maybe landed three of them and on the three that we did find a man it was pretty much no play to have there yeah. um so it, it's difficult for geo because i'm and i'm a big fan of his and again it we're not without having that target man up top with him uh, he has no one to play off of so and especially like you mentioned yes sam is gone we just loaned him out which i'm not sure if we were in talks with that deal before the klaus injury or not um, but either way, you now, yeah, now we're kind of scratching our heads of what to do, how to uh, break teams down. Because I don't think Leuven is the answer of being up top with him. You know, I, I feel like he's a lot better deeper in the uh, in our half to be that engine. You know. Yeah, I think uh, another thing that came up in the presser today was kind of a question that Matt asked, I believe, and I think Nico Joachini said, you know, I think I need. I learned in that game that I need to be more selfish. Um, selfish. The yeah. poor, poor guy got. It just nailed with negative questions and naturally you know it's just what happens after a game like that and he got no shots on goal and so on top of that we talked about how the guy's so gosh darn hard on himself <laughs> and so it was such a, a negative presser for him especially um but he said that he needed to be more selfish and 
And I think it's like a common thing for strikers to kind of feel that way or or, um, to be viewed as wanting to be that way. But, you know, thinking the other thing he said with that is like, I tend to naturally want to combine, want to play off of other players. And so I don't think he necessarily, not to translate for him, but I'm not sure he means like just purely be selfish. If I get the ball, I'm going to shoot. I think he means like, when you're a nine, like I think we see even Klaus is having to hold up the ball a lot because he's just alone. Mm-hmm. There's no one to play off of. And so part of that selfish thought mentality that we may see from Nico coming out is that he may realize, well, I'm alone. There's no one to play off of. I got to do something here. So maybe we'll see him mm-hmm. hold the ball up more or better, or maybe we'll see him uh, maneuver and take a shot or something like that. And so I'm interested to see, you know, we might've experienced like Nico growing as a player in the last two games <laughs> and going to the next one. Yeah. It was interesting because he was like, it's hard to explain, but, but you will see it when it happens. And I, <laughs> the way I think about it is like, He's going to pick his moments and, as you said, like uh, hold the ball or find a space to, to shoot. But sometimes he's going to combine. Sometimes he's just going to go by himself. But uh, but that was interesting. He was like, it's hard to explain, but you will see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's a good question. So we'll do a couple uh, listener questions here. This is Scott Winter, SDL. Asks a lot of questions. Thanks, Scott. Um, do you value one of the Chicago matches over one of the others? And could a result versus Dallas alter that opinion? That's a great question. Because, yeah, the first half is like, I think we all have something we would choose. But, you know, what if we what if we beat Dallas? What if we lose to Dallas? What if we win our Open Cup match? Because, like, how much are we going to value the CONCACAF Champions League? That's a possibility. Yeah. What do you think, Carver? Well, yeah. I was going to toss this question at you guys first, and then I got, I got, I got a good idea in my Santiago mind. Santiago, an hear. answer. Why don't you go ahead, Santiago? Um, so you were talking CONCACAF, Champions League. Um, so yeah, if you beat Chicago, you have to win four more matches to basically get uh, the U.S. Open Cup. And uh, I was asked this question yesterday on another on on. Um, on my uh, Spanish show mm-hmm. and basically, and it was that like for Chicago, would you prefer to win the open, the open cup game or the MLS game? And my answer was MLS game, um, just because it would be more difficult to win four more, four more games, mm-hmm. just schedule congestion and, and all of that. But then he returned the question and was like, okay, I know match to match, you would prefer the MLS game. But then he was like, okay, what about winning the U.S. Open Cup or winning next Saturday against Chicago in MLS? And if that's if I have to choose between those, I was like, well, obviously the Open <laughs> Cup. Tell, tell me where to sign uh, and I'll take it right now. But uh, just thinking about... Dallas also, I think the Dallas game will also dictate what happens. If City wins, I think they will go into the Open Cup like more um, relaxed, like um, not thinking, okay, now we have lost two in a row and we have been on this month where we have only won one game. So I think there will be a less sense of urgency. 
and maybe there will be a mixed lineup and see what happens. And Chicago is going to be in the same situation. I don't think they're going to put their full lineup, but I think the result against Dallas will dictate what happens if Dallas wins. I think there will be more sense of urgency to turn things around. Obviously, the team is great about looking at the data from every player and knowing, okay, if this guy play 75 minutes, maybe in Open Cup, they can play another 60, 65. So those things will come into play too. But but yeah, definitely the Dallas result will dictate a little bit what happens on Tuesday in Open Cup. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think um, I love the Open Cup. It's, you know, obviously, right? So I still, like, I'm a little worried. Like, I think if we get past this Open Cup round and then we get Klaus back and he stays healthy, then I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable about the Open Cup going forward. And so I'm a little weary of, like, winning another Open Cup game and having to take it pretty seriously and just, like, is our depth can our depth handle it if to be honest like not to kind of beat this dead horse but if sam was still with us i would be like let's go on that run you know let's wear <laughs> let's ride sam as the striker and just see how long it'll 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 take us down that road um and especially you know we could sub him out for that four false nine formation we've been kind of yeah. talking about a lot so you know like those two things would have been really exciting just to be like how far can we go is like a bit of a david and goliath story because we'd be playing all of our uh, underdogs so yeah, like i would say normally say that's what i want but i'm a little worried about our depth and so as much as i love the open cup i don't know like are we worried about the playoffs I'm not sure I'm worried about missing the playoffs yet, but we have been on a bit of a, a bad run. So like playoffs are in the back of my mind. I'd like to make the playoffs and have some fun there. Um, I love the open cup so much that I don't know. I, I'm torn. I'm, I, I think I can safely say now that I'm 50, 50 on that. <laughs> you talked yourself into it. Yeah. Right. What do you I'm think? Gonna to, I'm going to have to probably side with Phil mostly uh, just because I think it would be I mean, obviously a great statement or a huge statement to win silverware in our first year uh, as an MLS club. I think that'd be really cool to, and, and we have the quality to do it, but yeah, like you said, just do we have the depth and uh, not to worry boys. Cause we're signing Bobby Firmino, right? We're all, oh, yeah. we're all confident <laughs> that's, happening. that's the solution. I don't know. Yeah. You don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as for the, I don't feel like, I don't feel too, worried about missing the playoffs i think even after our first five wins there was the stat was something like 96 percent of teams that win those first opening five games have a chance of making the playoffs so that part doesn't concern me as much as just pushing players to their limit to maybe sideline them even more than they need to be at the moment yeah i mean a late a late the late part of the season is, is typically where everyone's expecting a pressing team to fall off um, yeah I'm, yeah i'm not yeah. sure i have bought into that yet but it is something to worry about in year one because it's so unproven with us. My what's yeah. one of my favorite the, the city voice ones were the athletic guys because I'm so curious about like the the mm -hmm. science behind that. So yeah, but Phil, um, just uh, an additional comment: um, if the team real if the team wins and is making a run, remember they can recall at any run at any point. So. If the team is having a good run, maybe he will be recalled and he will yeah. join City for that run. And didn't San Antonio lose, I think, in the Open Cup? I'm pretty sure they did. 
Yeah, the the oh, although I think uh, he played that game that mm-hmm. San Antonio lost, and I think I don't think he can play for City. Cup so tight. never mind. You're right. <laughs> yeah, he's cup tight. So never mind. Yeah, good fact check. Yeah, we yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, here's another question: What are the chances Miguel Perez gets called in for the U20 mm-hmm. World Cup, and would City release him for it? Um. I asked this today. Um, I, I think this is something we don't have to worry about. We'll just say that. <laughs> I forgot I wasn't going to talk about that, but then I asked the question anyway. So um, the the roster hasn't been released. So I, you know, let's we'll just see whether he's on it and whether the city has to make a decision there. But we did talk about whether or not we thought he would make the U twenty World Cup team, and so. I don't know. Santiago, you actually didn't give your answer. I guess you said, no, you don't think he would. Yeah, I said, I say no. I said no, uh, just based on the fact that um, he had, this last month was the first time he he was called up for any of the national teams, and he was the, the U19. And um, unless a lot of clubs don't release their players mm-hmm. um i think he like if this was six months from now i would say yes he will make it but considering it is now i think uh even though he's doing great i think he he still has room to uh continue developing and he's 18 so it's not like if he doesn't go now he's gonna miss his chance to go to a u20 world cup he can go in two years mm-hmm. so i would say no you know, I'm trying to remember. I'm I'm trying to scroll through it. Chicago Fire is not releasing Gutierrez and another player. Uh-huh. Do you remember? Uh, uh, the, the goalkeeper Chris. Uh, his last name is escaping right now, but yeah, it's it's uh, their goalkeeper. Uh, I'm, I can find it very quick. Well, what that was talk? that was more what I was uh, worried about as I was saying. You know, does did a spot open up? And Gutierrez, I think, is a central midfielder. So a spot did open up. So there is a chance, you know, if someone was on on the border of making it and not making it, it could have he could slip in there. I mean, it's it's hard not to hop hype on uh, or hop on the hype train, excuse me, with uh, with Perez. I mean, I'm pretty new to uh, at least paying close attention to the MLS, but it's pretty rare where you see a kid of his age starting regularly for a club like this. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, performing well too. I mean, every time I've seen him play, at the very least, even whenever he's not, you know, fully on his game, he's he's still very hungry for the ball. He hunts it down. He's very physical for his age too. I mean, he gets bodied, but that's at, at times. But that's going to come with being the age of 18. Um, and he's smart on the ball too. He has initiative. So I mean I'm very impressed by him and the ceiling is is very high for him at the moment too. So yeah, happy to have a homegrown player of his quality the first step year out of the gate. No kidding. Yeah, that's great to see. Uh Phil is Chris Brady, Brady. the, the goalkeeper from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think the the thing that I was saying was like it used to be, I think two World Cups ago, U twenty World Cups ago not many of our U20 players were professional players. You know what I mean? They were all, you know, either college or 
on their way up playing in some academy. None were like starting in MLS. And, you know, it used to be that if you were starting in MLS at that age, that you were just like a shoe in for the U20 World Cup. And it's just not like that anymore. That's really good for the United States. Um, but you know, I'm looking, I was looking at the roster. It's like, you know, guys like Cade Cowell are on there. Like Cade Cowell isn't just a starter. He's like one of their better players, you know? So I think luckily for the United States, the the bar has been raised and a guy like Perez might not slip in. Um, but I, I don't know who was talking about, I think Santiago, I think you said something like if it happens six months from now, maybe, maybe it's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, if if it was six months from now, with him uh, playing in more games, more MLS minutes, um, I think he he will make it. And obviously, if it was six months from now, there will probably be a couple of uh, camps that he will go to. So that's why in six months, I will say, yeah, yeah, definitely. But right now, my answer is no. Only one camp, yeah, that's big actually on the USMNT. That's that's not you know you don't just take a, a flyer on a guy that's been to one camp um, mm-hmm. unless you need to. So that's a good point. Right. Uh, here's a fun one. Uh, Joe Fly's X-Wings is a, a, a repeat question asker. And this one has to do with his Twitter name. Joe has, if you had to pick a player on the roster to take the shot or free kick that brings down the, the Death Star, who are you picking? <laughs> great question. He put in the, uh, the meme, the great shot kid that was one in a million. Yeah. Love it. Hmm. I got to work on my Star Wars line delivery, but <laughs> this is an easy one for me personally, but I don't know. I'm just going to say it because I think it's the obvious answer is Leuven. Isn't okay, Leuven yep, kind of like yep. the biggest sniper on our on our team? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to go with a dark horse, I will pick Indiana Basilev. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Also a good shout. I also think like if you're going to pick a guy that's like using the force in the perfect amount at the perfect moment, it'd be like Klaus not thinking about it, you know, like turn off the machine, Klaus, let go, use the force. He just closes his eyes and hammers it home. I could see that happening. It's got to be any day now where Leuven or Vasilev don't bang in a goal from 25 i know you know even maybe even 30 yards out i don't think that's too crazy to yeah. say. i mean they go for it all the time and they're and they're getting close man yeah they're getting really close the yeah and that ha- we haven't we don't have a free kick goal do we outside the box kind of a thing outside of a pk so. no not free kicks yeah I not think outside the box yet yeah Lubin is overdue and and then basilev mm-hmm Okay, I think that's it for uh, listener questions. We did striker depth. Let's talk about the Open Cup. So we, we kind of touched on it, but I think let's get a little bit more specific. Um, yeah, we're doing great on time. So we got to rotate our players, right? And so we kind of talked about who we wanted to start in the first segment of this, and I think we all pretty well thought that uh, the typical back four, we're going to see probably Leuven and Vasilev as the pivots. And then, you know, probably Stroud, Ostrak, and, uh, you know, Alm's going to be out. But um, who else were we talking right. about? As uh, I don't think Azil will start. We'll have Nico. Who am I missing here? I, I missed that part of the conversation, Phil. Oh, you did. So... I'm so sorry. So what what wingers yeah. do you think will start in this game? And I guess how do we see the subs happening, and how do we see the open open cup happening? 
Yeah, so I think uh, Alm will be out uh, just based on that questionable tag and the fact that he hasn't practiced, but maybe uh, he gets better and he practices tomorrow. But I don't think the team will, will rush him. So I will go, yeah, as you said, uh, Lubin and Vasilev as the pivots. And then Ostrak, Stroud, it was Celio. Celio is the one I was missing that we all kind I of. Just, I was just waiting. I was going to jump in there, but I didn't Sorry want to cut that. <laughs> yeah. So I will go with with Celio at top with um with Joachini. That's what who I will go with. Celio had a great week last week. They had a great game in Open Cup, uh, three assists, and he was basically involved in every goal, even though he didn't get an assist on the other two. And um, he also scored last week. Mm -hmm. So I think he he's playing with confidence, and I think he, he has earned um, more minutes, and I think we will see that on, on Saturday, especially if Rasmus Alm is out. Agree. Yeah. Carver, we all kind of agreed on that lineup. How would you rotate if that was the lineup? How would you rotate for the Open Cup if you had the choice? I mean, I'd just say the same thing as you guys is having uh, Pompeu up top. I think he's, I mean, he's definitely earned it. Like you said, at the very least, get some minutes against Dallas this weekend, and then I would start him in the Open Cup. Uh, other than that, I'd, I'd still go with Perez as well. Um, it, I guess it just depends. I don't know for the defense because we have also a few injuries and we haven't seen Nielsen yet. And I feel like we're pretty stripped thin on the right back position as well. I, I wonder what happens if Nervinsky ever picks up a knock. Mm, so no. I'm not sure. It's it, There are times in, where I'm looking at the squad and I'm like, you know, we're, we're one <laughs> knock away in, in one of these roles and, and we're, we don't we're have anyone else. Away. Uh, yeah. Bartlett's been doing well, though, I guess. I could throw him in the back line. He's been impressive as well. Yeah, I mean, looking at, uh, so I think, no, that's not true. I mean, there's going to be some guys that are going to have to start, I think, twice in a row, it almost seems like. I think it's almost unavoidable because let's look at our last Open Cup starting lineup. On the back line, it was all different guys, but that meant Watts had to play right back, right? So no repeat starters there. Watts was playing right back. Azil on the right. The pivots were... Miggy and Indiana Vasilev, right? And so if we have Indy starting this game, does that change? Do we have someone different in the pivots? Let's say Vasilev and, and Leuven start. Who do you start in the Open Cup? Is there a repeat starter or do you rotate? You know, someone you subbed out at the 60th minute in this next game? So I, so let me, let me go back. So I will go with... Barlett and Jaro mm -hmm. and um, O'Malley trained with the team this oh, yeah. week and he trained he has been uh, he played as a right fullback with um, City 2 and has also been doing that with the team this week so I think he he may start in Open Cup and then uh, Pedro on the left but yeah if, as you start moving into midfield i think you're gonna have some repeat guys so maybe paris starts and then um Lubin and basilev like alternate one plays 45 minutes the other one plays the other 45 or you could also now that you have omali 
on the right, uh, you can have uh, kilowatts um, in the defensive mill in the defensive midfield. But yeah, I think guys will will alternate. Like um, if Jackson doesn't play against Chicago or only play against sorry against Dallas, only plays a few minutes, he will probably start again. And um, it all depends on who starts against Dallas. But yeah, I think you're gonna have to have some repeat guys on so or some or some guys that play uh, like. 70, 75 minutes against Dallas and maybe go 60 minutes against Chicago. But yeah, I, I can see more repeats uh, midfield and up. Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, so the, you, I think you solved the puzzle there that I think we're going to see O'Malley. We, we talked about that in the first segment. So like, of course, I forgot that. So I think that's the answer. And then maybe Watts in, in the in the middle, in the midfield, central midfield. So let's talk about the wingers and attackers between... Jensen, Aziel Jackson, Celio, Pompeu, Ostrock, at least two of those guys are going to start this game against Dallas, don't you think? At least one, probably two. I start Ostrock personally. I think we were struggling to get anything going against Portland for that first hour until he came on. And whenever Ostrack did come on and we started doing those shorter, quicker one-two passes around the top of the box and working it in behind almost, mm-hmm. that was a hell of a lot more effective to get a result rather than just crossing and praying. So I go Ostrack. For the Open Cup or for Dallas? For Dallas. Okay. For Dallas, okay. Yeah. And so we got Glover, you... too. Are we going to start Glover? Right. <laughs> yes. Not. So... So I would so would, huh? so yeah because you have to you have to give Nico a break so so yeah if if Ostrak starts against against Dallas I think uh, it will be Jensen and Jackson and maybe Celio and Ostrak will alternate forty five minutes each and then as a number nine. I think uh, I think Glover will see um, some time. Nice. It'd be fun to see him start. I'm rooting for the guy. And, uh, you know, hopefully Chicago too. I mean, if they start a lot of backups like we are, um, I think that lineup looks great. I think O'Malley, I said earlier, it looks has been looking great with City too. So um, I'd love to see yeah, all, or, all the guys you mentioned. Yeah, or, or maybe Nico, start, Nico Joaquini starts and then... Uh, Glover comes second half or the other way around, but but I think Glover is gonna get some minutes on Tuesday. Yeah, I don't know if he'll start. I'm not sure he'll start, but you know we're getting pretty thin at that position if he doesn't. So I'm kind of torn in that regard. Um, we got a couple more things I want to hit, and we're we're starting to run out of time. So Carver, I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about the Portland game, and then we'll close out with a, a few thoughts that you have about Dallas coming up. So we talked, we touched on the Portland game. We don't need to go too deeply into it, but um, what were your your thoughts on that? I mean, pretty much that everything that I mentioned already. Just it was it was tough to break them down and and get anything going in the attacking third until that hour or so minute mark when Ostrek came on and we and we stopped throwing in crosses into no one so uh, it's it's on Bradley to think of a plan B going into this weekend and even potentially the next two or so weeks to uh, find out a way how to break teams down without your star striker and that can you know cause that chaos win those aerial duels because that's also another part that 
is vital to our game is, you know, Berkey booting those insane balls up top and Klaus getting his head on it and then winning the second ball. So mm-hmm. we got to think of a whole different way of attacking. Yeah, right on, right on target. Really like similar to some of the things we were saying today as well. Um, you you had some thoughts. You said you know a guy in Dallas, and you were kind of talking about uh, some things. So if you want to bring up some thoughts about Dallas coming up, I'd love to hear that. And again, we appreciate you coming on today because um, you know we kind of you know as a podcast you have a, a it's, you're in danger of being very insular and repeating your own thoughts within the, your, each other so yeah i want to hear what you have to say about of dallas i've been really excited to hear what you've said so far it, it, it's cool to get your perspective appreciate it yeah i guarantee i've probably just been repeating everything you guys are saying already not but, at all no 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 it's been good <laughs> no um yeah so like i said i'm pretty new to the mls so i haven't seen dallas play as a collective much but uh, at least I haven't been paying too much attention, but I am familiar with a handful of individuals on Dallas, notably, obviously, Jesus Ferreira. So I think that's where it's a lot of our focus on defense has got to be, is just shutting him out of the game uh, with him being like a really talented forward and comfortable playing deeper as that 10, mm-hmm. having a good work rate and then a good sense of anticipation. Um, hopefully that's something that we can shut down because I think our team is good at so- that sort of thing. You know, we have players that look like they're alert. You know, they like they hunt like wolves i think lutz says whenever uh, they talk about the pressing styles so they're they're ready to not give up any sort of second balls like that so i think the key is just going to be able to try to push ferrer at the game and, and minimize those chances and hopefully yeah get something going on the break or with the pace i'm not sure yet that's i'm interested to see what bradley comes up with me too um yeah ferrer is been very good and i watched you know i got i prepared by watching him play with minnesota and and to me he looks like their brightest player i know they got Mm -hmm. other quality guys but you know he plays the more nuanced passes i would say more often than you see um from strikers in mls at least yeah so i'm with you on that um i want to talk you know you're on the bvb pod and so some interesting news happened this week and i don't know if you want to call it news but this is an ambush cut the cut the recording <laughs> no 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 you can't do this for me. no <laughs> the, well, like, you know what i'm going to ask like the the Bayer Leverkusen job opening is that what oh you're you going to talk that? about <laughs> no i'm not going to make you talk about dorman no i mean that's <laughs> let's not get depressed tonight <laughs> yeah. but no did you see that thing like the Bayer leverkusen job opening it's like an international something role and it has the arch in the background of the picture <laughs> it's hilarious i did see that yeah i read a little bit i opened the ad and i read you know i just skimmed the top of the page but i'm not too curious or i guess familiar with what the position is but yeah it's hilarious that they'd have the st louis arch in the background <laughs> Is it hilarious or is it just like announce it already is what Stuart said? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, St. Louis is an international city. Yeah, that's true. You know, but to go along with that, I think we can close with this story because it is a really awesome one. Um, I didn't see this coming, but um, Manuel Vape mentioned that Ezeal Jackson's being looked at by not mm-hmm. just Bayer Leverkusen, but some other clubs. And so, you know, we've heard that Caden Glover's had interest and, um, you know, Bayer Leverkusen seems to be on that list almost every time. Um, and so, you know, that'd be, were you guys surprised to see that um, Ezeal Jackson was getting interest from foreign clubs? I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was, um, especially just because he, he's starting to get more minutes, but um, still hasn't like played a lot so 
to me it was a surprise but i think at the same time it proves uh the great job st louis did scouting scouting and uh I think in previous spots um, we have talked about how um, Minnesota fans uh, complain about how Minnesota let Jackson get away just for for Phil was it 150,000 or 100? It was like a, a great deal for yeah. St. Louis. So just imagine if if this deal ends up going through and you sell him for a million, million and a half, and it, it's it's good business it, it will be sad to see uh jackson go but um at the end of the day i think that's one of the things um city uh, one of their long-term goals is to um develop talent and uh, eventually yep. sell them overseas absolutely all right guys anything else you want to cover before we go I, i'm sure there's some news we're missing but we got all the questions in um so anything else you want to say before we go I just wanted to say thanks again for having me. I love the guys, uh, love the show that you guys put on and uh, watch you a lot. And it's been great talking with you. Yeah, man. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, we'll have to make it more of a habit. We'll have to make sure, we'll have to kick Matt out every once in a while. <laughs> make sure you can get it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, but yeah, ho we hope to have you uh, on our shows. Um, thanks. Really loved your, your insight. Thanks. All right. Well, sure. thanks if you're uh, still listening. This is phil santiago and carver signing out thanks for everything and we'll be chatting with you very soon probably tuesday for flyover fallout with santiago and matt bye everybody bye, bye.